0: Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Uh, Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to the sleep-in service. I'm glad that you are here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. And uh, I want to welcome not only those of you that are here in the room, but also want to welcome those of you that are watching online. And I want to say something specific. got an email this morning um, from a small group that meets in a a house. So it's a house church uh, just outside of Oslo, Norway. They watch every single week. And so we want to welcome our brothers and sisters from Norway uh, to sleep-in service. Would you just welcome them? We're glad that they're here. Before we get started today, I believe that uh, credit needs to go where credit is due. So for this week, uh, I want to thank Pastor Kyle Eidelman. He's one of my favorite pastors and authors. He, helped, uh, he wrote a book on the theme of brokenness, and it helped shape so much of what we're going to talk about today. So for today, Jesus gets the glory, Kyle gets the credit, and I'm happy to be a footnote. Okay, so let's work together on this. Have you ever heard something, believed it, and then found out later on it wasn't true? I mean, Timmy, that kind of describes for some of us our entire childhood, right? Because I don't know about your mom, but my mom told me that if I swallowed my gum, it would stay in my stomach for seven years. How many of you heard that lie, right? Okay. Not true. Not true. Medical science says that gum is not easily broken down by stomach acid, so it leaves your body the same way that it enters, whole and intact within 24 hours. I'm sorry for the visual. Forgive me. Okay. Okay. So somebody along the line, I mean, some mom said to you, you know, if you chew your gum, you're going to have this. Uh, I, I went through middle school thinking I had this softball sized thing in the middle of my stomach. And then one day I'm never going to be able to eat any more food because there was so much gum inside of that. That was bad information. And now some of you need to go and confront your mother this afternoon, right? <laughs> hey, you've heard it said before. Some of you heard this, that cracking your knuckles will give you arthritis. How many of you heard that? You were lied to you were lied to. Scientifically proven, there is no correlation at all between cracking your knuckles and arthritis. So we're going to throw off the guilt. And for once in your life, you're just going to let it rip. Are you ready? On three. Okay. Come on, eleven 15, Don't let me down. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Yes. You know what was funny was the number of people in the room were like, I just still can't do it. I can't do it. You've been living under a lie. Some of you heard it said, maybe you've heard this one before, right? You shouldn't go swimming 30 minutes after you're done eating, huh? Yeah, not true. Not true. No medical correlation, whatever, to eating and cramping and all that other kind of stuff. In fact, experts other than your mom say the only danger that comes from swimming after eating is the fact that you eat a little, or you weigh a little bit more, so you might sink a little bit faster. So... Here, here's my thought on this whole thing. It was, a, it was a conspiracy. Moms everywhere needed some way to figure out how to keep the kids in the house to do the dishes. So they made up a rule and it was a lie. That's what I'm thinking. All right. One of my favorite lines that Jesus uses throughout scripture is this little phrase. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. Now, now some of you are like, that's one of your favorite lines. It actually is. Because Jesus would often say to religious people, hey, you've heard it said, and then he would quote an Old Testament passage, and then he would redefine the verses for them. He would show them a deeper truth. He would expand on the truth. So often we'll find Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but now I'm gonna redefine it for you. You've heard it said, but you actually took it wrong. Now I'm gonna help you see it the right way. You've heard it said, but you just completely missed the mark with what I was trying to communicate to you. This is especially true for those of us who grew up in church. Somewhere along the line, I don't know what your experiences was, but somewhere along the line, I heard it said that God was only for nice people. That God only worked with really nice people with no issues. That God only works in and through people who somehow have been able to piece it all together. I don't know about your experience, but I heard it somewhere along the line. I heard it said God had a dress code. And unless you looked a certain way and acted a certain way, you were always going to be on the outside looking in. You have heard it said. I've heard it said before, somewhere along the line, I picked this up, that God was either sad or mad at me because I had made decisions. I was broken beyond repair, and there was no hope for me. I heard it said. I heard wrong. I heard wrong. Years ago, Dr. Gene Barsness, a professor from my college, introduced me to a writer by the name of William McDonald. He wrote a little tiny book called True Discipleship. I'm still unpacking what that book did in my heart all those years ago. In another book, William McDonald wrote, it was called Lord Break Me. He corrects the wrong thinking that God can only use people who are whole. He makes an assertion. He says, you've heard it said that somehow you got to have your act together before you can come to Jesus. But you heard wrong. In fact, the opposite is true. Here's what William MacDonald says. He goes, God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. That's why I love him so much. And I'll prove that to you in just a minute, okay? (laughs) This Old Testament prophet gets a message from God and the message is the true heart of God towards all the people that are just like us. The Bible says, Jeremiah 18, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah and he said, go down to the potter's shop and I'll speak to you there. So I did as he told me and I found the potter working at his wheel to get the picture. But the jar he was making didn't turn out as he'd hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. So just so you hear it right, God's the potter, and he specializes in working with defective clay. You know why we think the little defects are there, it's because the truth is, none of us had our life turned out exactly the way we planned. I don't think anybody in this room can say, that's my life is exactly how I planned it. And so we live with this level of brokenness because of old stuff. We made a bad decision back in college relationally, and the effects are still with us today. We didn't deal with a core sin a long, long time ago, and and now we're surprised because it's back and it's running our life one more time. We tried to keep up with the Joneses. We tried to keep up with appearances and now we're drowning in a sea of debt and our need to look a certain way is actually drowning us and killing us in a sea of red ink. Somewhere back along the line, we bought the lie that numbing the pain was a better alternative until we woke up and we we learned a 12-step principle. Wherever you go, there you are. I mean, some of us are just like, it just didn't turn out the way that I planned it in the last couple of weeks. Some of you are just like, I I finally did it. I finally committed to 12 steps of spiritual journey. I actually bought what Grant was selling. I signed up. I showed up on the first Monday, and then God snowed us out twice. What is up with that? I don't know, but we're coming back at it tomorrow night, just so you know. All right? I mean, we we thought somewhere along the line that being religious and spiritual was enough, so we turned a relationship into a religion, and we got so good at just checking the boxes. But we're just dead on the inside. We've all heard it said before, right? You you just fake it till you make it, but it doesn't work. Because nobody in the room can outrun our reality. Life just doesn't work that way. And that's so hard for us to wrap our head around because it means we've got to make an admission and a confession today. I know this is going to stun some of us, but we are all those people. Let me tell you what I mean. Brene Brown is an amazing author. She, she works in an area of, of transparency. She's trying to convince the whole world that you'd be better off if you just get real. In one of her famous TED Talks, she says these words. She says, we are all those people. That's the truth. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones that we don't let our kids play with, the ones that really bad things happen to, the ones that honestly we don't want living next door. And that messes with us because somehow most of us in the room think, no, I'm not those people. I'm different. And we're really offended when the God of the universe in the Holy Scripture says, oh, just a reminder there's no one righteous, not even one. So nobody gets to elevate themselves at all. And it messes us up because some of us have heard it said somewhere along the line that our good is actually good enough. We heard somewhere along the line that God grades on a curve, that, 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 that God has a bar, but we actually got over top of the bar that we're the high achievers in the room. Here's the problem. You heard wrong. And let me tell you how I know you heard wrong because your life didn't turn out like you planned it. We've all made choices that have left us broken. Let me remind you again. God speaking to Jeremiah, he says, But the jar he was making did not turn out as he'd hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I'm standing over here in the wings and I'm hearing you sing in the crushing, in the pressing. You're making new wine out of us. Before that can happen, I think a confession needs to happen for all of us. And I'm going to say it on your behalf, and then I'm going to try and convince you that it's true. We're all broken. We're all broken. And if I may be so bold, if you think you're not, (laughs) we have classes that you should go to, I'm just saying, okay? I mean, you've heard it said, and it's actually true. We're all broken, but don't miss the point of the story. The potter crushes what was. It starts all over again. The potter himself crushes old decisions and labels and mistakes and choices and decisions. For some of you, he's crushing victimization because the truth is you didn't make a decision. Somebody made a decision for you, and it broke your heart. However, it happened. It happened. No matter how the hopes got dashed, the potter starts over. The potter doesn't discard the flawed clay. He starts over with the broken. So here's the good news and the bad news all put together. We're all broken, but we're all starting over. I thought somebody would say amen. I got one from my sister in the front row. Thank you. We're all starting over. How does Jesus do that? I believe that Jesus redefines broken for us in Isaiah chapter 53. Well, the Bible says this, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Somewhere along the line, we, we, we heard something. You've heard it said that you're going to pay, that like consequences have to be paid for. And so we do that math in our head, and I hear this every Easter. Somebody will say, you know what, well, surely Jesus must have done something. He must have done something to get what he deserved because that's how it works right you do something and then there's consequences that's how it works right Grant wrong the reason that Jesus died on a cross is us we're those people we're those people listen to the word of God it says but he was pierced for our transgressions He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I just want to point out a few things to you here because it's so unbelievably important. That word wound literally means broken blood vessels, it's actual bruises. Jesus was bruised for those people. And we are those people. And he took the bruises for one reason, so that those people could actually be healed. The original Hebrew word here, it means to be rendered completely whole without a defect. Here's what it means in the simplest way I can say it. We are made whole because Jesus chose to be broken. Let me say that again. We are made whole because Jesus chose to be broken. In the beginning of the series, I shared an illustration with you of a Japanese art form called katsugi. And then somebody from Christ the King went out and actually bought me some. And I will cherish this for the rest of my life because of what it means. The art form started when someone found something that was broken and went through the painstaking process to repair it. Can we admit in our culture, we we don't usually repair much, right? What do we do? We throw it out and get a new one, right? We just disposable. Everything is disposable. Disposable. That's the way our culture is. When something breaks, our first thought is you throw it out and get a new one because repair is just too time-consuming. We think to ourselves, I don't know how to repair it, so I'm just going to throw it away. So that's why our landfills are filled with old coffee makers and the old 42-inch television, which just isn't big enough anymore, and that old leather recliner that's got a few scratches in it. You know, it's just like you just throw it away. You've heard it said before at some level. If it's busted, you just throw it away and you don't work about it anymore. That's not the way God works. Also, for the record, he won't sell you on Craigslist, just so you're clear. Okay, all right? You know, what if the right understanding is that when God repairs, the broken object actually becomes more valuable? This piece of ceramics is worth almost nothing until somebody put it back together again, and they didn't use glue. They used gold to seam it back together together again. There's actually beauty in the repair. You can see, hopefully, these little lines of gold where this was formerly broken, but now it's been fused back together again. And here's the incredible thing to me. Jesus offers us something better. God says if you'll come to him broken, he will put you back together again, not with glue, not with gold, but with God. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's beautiful. My prayer today is that some broken people in this room will finally have the courage to step forward and say, God, I'm one of those people. And I'm not ashamed of that. I need your help. My prayer today is also that some of us that think we're not those people will get very, very real before God today. So as I get ready to kind of kind of kind of come in a roundabout way to bringing this in for a landing, I want to I want to share something with you. Every time we do these series, I always tell God I don't know why I, I should give up doing this, but I tell him what I'm not going to preach. So last week I said I'm not preaching the prodigal son, and what did we end up doing? We talked about the prodigal son. This week I said I'm not talking I'm not talking about the um, the woman and the Pharisee just because we've covered that before and. I'm not preaching Luke chapter seven and we are in Luke chapter seven. So you can go there in your Bible if you have it. But I am going to say this, instead of reading the story to you, I hope you'll indulge me just a little bit because I'd like to, I'd like to just tell it to you. The Bible sets this beautiful stage and says that Jesus had been invited to dinner by somebody and and the person who who invited him to dinner, his name is Simon the Pharisee. And Simon was absolutely convinced he was not one of those people. Simon was a Pharisee. He played by the rules. He observed the dress code. He worked really, really hard to keep those messy people out of his synagogue because they were just a little bit too messy for him. He, he, he memorized all the rules. Before he was 12 years old, he would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He understood this stuff. He knew it by heart. And so he made a judgment in his head. He said, I have heard it said to me, I'm one of the nice people. He'd heard it said, made up his mind. And in his mind, his good was actually good enough. Simon invites Jesus to dinner. Not because he wanted to, but because he was expected to. It was one of the rules. That's how it worked. If you were a Pharisee and a visiting itinerant rabbi came into town and spoke at the synagogue, you had him over for dinner. That's just the way it was. But I saw something in this text this week that I have never, ever seen before. Jesus comes to dinner, but Simon doesn't really want him there. You know how I know? Because Simon doesn't welcome him in any way, shape, or form culturally. At the bare minimum, if you invited someone into your home in this culture, the bare minimum that you would do is meet them at the door and kiss them on the back of their hand. That was the minimum. If you actually wanted them there, you would have kissed them on both cheeks and welcomed them into your home. It's the equivalent of us meeting somebody at the door and saying, can I take your coat? Doesn't happen. At a bare minimum, Simon should have given Jesus water for his feet. If he wanted him there, he actually would have provided a servant that would have come and washed the feet of Jesus for him. But he doesn't even give him water to wash his own feet. And then finally, the bare minimum would have been that you brought people olive oil, even cheap olive oil. You would have brought it to them. They would have taken it on their hands and used it to to push over top of their head and smooth their hair down. None of it happens. Which leads me to one conclusion. This nice, tidy person who thinks he's not one of those people, he's doing this out of religious duty, not because he actually wants Jesus in his home. And that's not even the point of the story. Dinner's going on. And then she shows up. A woman with no name in Scripture. The only way she's identified is as a sinner. And before you judge her, we're all her. She's got a reputation, and it's not a good reputation. She's known in her community for all the wrong things. She is a sexual scandal on feet. She is one of those people. I have no idea how she got into the house. I know this. She was not invited. There's no way she would have been invited into that circumstance, but she ends up in the center of this dinner party, and I have no idea how she got there. I think she just must have heard something about Jesus. Someone told her Jesus can take broken things and make them whole. So she shows up with all of her brokenness and it's unbelievably awkward. This is not a safe place. This is a a broken beyond repair, throw it away because it doesn't have any worth kind of a moment. This is a, you don't belong here kind of a moment. This is a, this is our cool little club and you better stay on the outside. And we're so quick to say, boy, I'm so glad we've gotten over that. I'm so glad we don't act that way. Can I share something with you? I've been pastoring here for 20 years-ish. And about two times a year, somebody will grab me after a service and they'll say, Hey, hey uh, Pastor Grant, um, there's people smoking outside the church. And I freak them out when I say, I know. Isn't it great? I'm like no 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 let me explain. We all have issues. Apparently their issue is is a nicotine addiction. Apparently your issue is judgment and so we're going to work on that together <laughs> and um I mean, so we're actually going to get into the mess right here. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. And they're a little offended because, well, well, what are we going to do with those people? And so just so we're clear, so we're crystal clear on this whole thing. um, I don't think smoking is going to keep you out of heaven. In fact, I think it'll get you a whole lot quicker. And so you should... So you should knock it off. And the cool thing is uh, we, we actually equipped you because now you can stop smoking and you can crack your knuckles, chew gum and swallow it and go swimming right after you've eaten and it's going to be good for you. I mean, we're going to work with you on the issues, right? That's just how it's supposed to be. I'm sorry, I've been cooped up all week. I got a lot of words, all right? No filter at all. But, but we're just so quick to elevate ourselves somehow and go, but I'm just not one of those people, and here she is, she's surrounded by those people, but they can't see it, and in some moment, I don't know how exactly it happens, but but she sees him, and he sees her, and she's completely overcome because of the kindness that he extends to her. I don't know. There's not a lot of detail. All I know is this. She's overcome in the presence of a God who loves those people. And she starts to cry. She falls at his feet and she starts crying and she notices something. Her tears are making mud on the unwashed feet of Jesus. So she does something that none of the nice people would have done. She does something that would have been completely inappropriate. You've heard it said that if you let your hair down, it just means you're doing something a little wild and crazy. She lets her hair down. And all of the religious people in the room go, what just happened? Because when you let your hair down, that was an intimate, unbelievable, unrefined gesture of love. And she not only lets her hair down, she uses her hair as a towel to wipe her tears from his feet. And she's not done. In my brain, I picture it, they haven't breathed for four minutes. (gasps) She reaches into her dress and she pulls out an alabaster jar full of perfume. It's a symbol of her brokenness. She'd used that perfume before, she poured it out in all the wrong places. She'd used it the wrong way. It's just a broken tool of her brokenness. And she shows up at the feet of Jesus and she doesn't just let out a single drop. She pours out all of it. And the smell of brokenness and grace just saturates the room. And the religious people are still holding their breath. What just happened? And then in an amazing twist, Jesus confronts Simon, not her. Let me read it to you. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water from my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And the other guests began saying amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that story. I love that story because the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot more detail, but this is how I picture it in my brain. He holds her hands and says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Off you go. You're good. And in my brain, it goes like this. Then he turns around and looks at everybody else in the room, says, "And the rest of you are staying because we're going to have a talk." Because you need to know something. We're those people she leaves whole and the Pharisees are so frustrated with Jesus. I can imagine Simon is just coming unglued. How in the how dare you give her grace in my house? I keep the rules. I do the right things. I don't do the wrong things. I keep the faith. I keep those people away from our nice, tidy spiritual club. I do it right. This is what is so ironic to me. This Pharisee has been looking for a Messiah his entire life. And now Jesus is sitting at his dinner table and Simon... And can't see him because he thinks he's got it together. He thinks he's not one of those people. Do you know who sees Jesus? She does. Through her tears, she sees her Messiah, her King, her Savior, her Forgiver, her Repairer, her Restorer. His religion made him blind to the fact that Jesus was right in front of her. Her tears allowed her to see there's a King in the room. I'm with Him because He loves those people. Let me ask you a quick question. Be careful how you answer it. Who would you rather be in the story? The woman who got grace or the pristine Pharisee? you have a very honest, transparent moment, this is my honest answer. I actually want to be both. there's a part of me and I think there's a part of you that wants everybody else in the room to think I I got it I got it together that's the way it's supposed to be right you heard it said a long time ago pastors are actually supposed to have it together so the truth is I do I want the nice tidy life and reputation of the pharisee but I also want the grace of Jesus here's the problem I can't have it both ways and neither can you The only way to experience the grace of God is through the broken acknowledgement that you're busted. Everyone in the room, we're all broken. We're starting over. And our journey from broken to whole goes through a doorway marked busted. And that's why, if you're going to hang out here, you better understand something. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. For some of us, this is a big deal. It's like, I I don't want to be those people. Hate to break it to you. You already are. And that's why this glorious mess of a church. That's why this dysfunctional family of a church is so unbelievably precious, I believe, because we all walk with a limp. We're all busted and broken, so if you walk in the door today and try to disqualify yourself because you think you're just too messed up, we'll see your brokenness and we'll raise you chronic back pain. I mean, that's how this family works. I've been thinking about this all week. Sometimes I'm not sure what to do with a God who who loved those people so much that he would give his life for them. And in a moment, I want to give those of you in the room who have never begun a relationship with Jesus because maybe you thought you were too busted. Maybe you thought you were good enough. I'd like to give you an opportunity, but here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back and join me and Andy and the team are gonna come and in a moment, they're gonna sing over top of us. If you wanna sing with them, you can. That's, That's fine. But I want us to do something if we could. I need you to stay at dinner. I want you to put Simon on your right. And I want you to feel his heart in thinking little bit better I want you to put her on your left a woman who had a reputation as a sinner but walked out with God saying oh by the way now you're a saint not because of anything you've done but because of everything I just did for you Simon over here her over here and I want you to put Jesus right in front of you And I want you to have a conversation with him. Some of us need to confess, God, I actually, I think I'm a little better. And I need you to humble me. Some of us need to have a conversation. I thought I was too busted. Apparently that's not the way it works. I want you to have a conversation with Jesus and then I'll come up and we're gonna talk to Jesus again together. Let's worship, pray, think, and process right now. For some of us today, the greatest spiritual step forward would be for us to raise our hands to Jesus and say, I'm one of those people. And I'm so thankful today that Jesus loves those people. Because that's us. For some of us, we've never had an encounter like she did. We've never come and said, God, I need you to put pieces back together again. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you've never, ever started a relationship with Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. Bible says all you need is a mustard-sized seed of faith, and mountains will move. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me, whatever it is that you need to say to God. But, but if today is the day when you say, I need the potter to start all over again with me, then this is your moment. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for tender, sweet moments when you meet with us again. God, I pray for courage right now for those who need to simply confess to you. God, I've elevated myself when I should have elevated you. And Lord, would you hear our our repentance? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, would you pray this prayer with me in your heart right now? Father God, I'm broken. I took the life that you gave me and it's all smashed but I heard it said that you can gather up the broken pieces and put them together not with glue and not with gold but with God so I come to you right now and I say Jesus would you do for me what you did for her would you forgive my sin God I acknowledge before you I've broken your heart with my decisions. I confess my sin to you. I ask right now that you would forgive me and wash me as white as snow. God, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again for me. God, I ask right now that you would be my Lord, my Savior, my King, my hope. God, would you, put the pieces back together again. I give my life to you, my decisions to you, my future to you. God, and I thank you so much. You've met me right here in the middle. I pray these things in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would never do anything to embarrass you. If you prayed that prayer sincerely today, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Just stick it straight up so I can see it. God bless you. God bless you and you and you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here in this corner. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God thank you for moments. Because I know, Lord, enough moments strung together make a lifetime. So I pray for all of those people us. And I thank you that your grace and mercy are still available to us if we'll walk through a door labeled broken. God, may you continue to do good work in us today and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.